Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host, Welcome, everyone, to the final episode of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. We began this journey together on September 1st, 2016, and this past year has been such an incredibly intense year for us as individuals and collectively as a species. Of course, we've always had difficult times, but the scale, the sheer scale at which we are experiencing political, social economic, ecological, and cultural collapse is beyond anything that we've ever seen in human history. And today, I'm sharing this space with two of the greatest teachers of my life who have been here with me almost from the beginning of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Today, we're here to explore how we hold this paradox of bearing witness to and being with this great unfolding tragedy and at the same time living our lives with grace and care and with a mindful urgency. Because while we have a a choice to respond in any way that we choose, it's been my experience that this is what we are being called to do, to dwell in the muck, to stay with the trouble, acknowledge and, and honor the inevitable fear, all the while holding with great clarity and stepping into the vision of the new story we hold in our hearts. So I am deeply honored to have Tita Lenny Strobel and Bio Okomalafe here with me to dive in and swim in the waters of what it means to live a beautiful life in a dying paradigm. So thank you, dear Tita and Bio, for being here uh, to explore these complex and um, at times heartbreaking open realities. Morning, Rochelle. Good morning. For having us in this last episode. Morning yeah. to be here. Awesome. Morning, Tita. <laughs> morning, Baya. It's it's my pleasure to have you both here. And I wonder if we could talk a bit about. So I have a poem I'd love to share. It's by Marie Rainer Maria Rilke, mm-hmm. and it just struck me recently in a book called Sharon or by Sharon Blackie. It's called If Women Rose Rooted. And um, there's, you know, there's so much we could move into here, but I'll um, say the poem first and then we can talk about it. But he says, it's possible I am pushing through solid rock in flint-like layers as the ore lies alone. I'm such a long way in. I see no way through and no space. Everything is close to my face and everything close to my face is stone. I don't have much knowledge, yet in grief, so this massive darkness makes me small. You be the master, make yourself fierce, break in. Then your great transforming will happen to me, and my great grief cry will happen to you. So the part of the poem, I wonder um, if we could start here at least the piece that jumped out at me is that is this massive darkness makes me small. And this other piece of, you know, I don't have much knowledge yet in grief. And I think that it speaks to 
uh, a place where, you know, a lot of people that are sort of awakening to the fact that our this Western paradigm is dying, that it can feel very um, crushing at times. And I wonder, Tita Lenny, if you might have some wisdom to share for us as we're, you know, just awakening to this reality. And then maybe later on we can speak to how we live um, beautifully, even despite what we're experiencing today. Wow. I hear those words, Rochelle, and, and I immediately felt this grief that has been sitting on my chest. Uh, for years now, and and it literally feels like someone is sitting on my chest, and and yet I know that my grief is not personal. Um, it feels really ancient and heavy, um, and I I think that is why I have, in the last few years, decided to focus on living my small, simple life locally in a particular very specific place and because for me that feels like I could do this I could live small I could live simply I can be claimed by a place I can get to know a place and 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 when I do that it feels like I'm giving I'm, I'm embodying this way of knowing that indigenous peoples must have known all along about what it means to belong to a place that is ancient, to a place that has always been here, so that when I look at a rock on the shore of Salmon Creek, I know that that piece of rock that has been polished by the waves of the ocean um, has been there longer than I have been, and it will be there long after I'm gone. You know? So I... I think of death and I think of life and I think of uh, grief as something that is enveloped by this other other shining reality that that can be unseen when we're too focused on on what we see just right in front of our eyes, you know, or the, the stress of of living this modern life. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I think keeping it, like you said, grief is not personal and keeping things small and close to home and um, you know, living this small, simple life locally helps to not be so crushed by, you know, the the largeness of it all, the, the, the um, scale of it all, you know. Because I can, I can build community. I can mm-hmm. actually welcome people into my home and feed them. I can visit with a friend and walk their dogs. And I can, and and when we live our lives online, <laughs> when we live our lives in a very big way, you know, I think most of most of us that are online, you know, that that is the other illusion is is thinking that we can build communities online. Mm-hmm. Well, some extent, it's okay to have virtual communities, but in, in, in reality, our lives are always local, mm-hmm. and our lives are always rooted in, in place. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bio, would you like to share any thoughts? Or did you want me to, I know we lost you for just a moment. Do you need any? Yes, I would. I would love to be, if a, I could get a prompt. I think I understand okay. where the where the theme is going. But if you could fill me in. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You may have lost. I may have lost you when uh, Raina Maria Rilke. I was sharing his poem. There was one line in a, in a, in particular that struck me, and he he says, "This massive darkness makes me small." Um, <clears throat> and I was talking about how you know in our Western culture we're not really taught to grieve, and even as he says in the poem, I don't have much knowledge yet in grief. And so this massive darkness makes me small. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts for, you know, as we're, we're collectively um, and individually awakening to the reality of, of the scale of what we're facing, these challenges, how um, do you recommend we relate? How do we be in relationship to this? Mm. Thank you, Rochelle. And I'm... Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would I would say this that you know what one of the striking observations about today these moments is that these are times of leakages and spillages. Um, the the project of the 17th 18th century was for classificatory purity, you know, to to put to assign bodies and and uh, places and humans on a, on a hierarchical scale to put things in place, so to speak. Um, and that has been the project of white normativity to, to kind of assign bodies to place uh, and, and to teach or to regulate the ways we experience the world. So you see that um, classification always goes hand in hand with colonialism. Um, but in this time of spillages, what I would call the time of spillages, it, it, the boundaries are becoming more and more porous. And the disciplinary structures that have been put in place to regulate those things that come out of their little boxes are taxed over time. And so, and so it seems that the, the system itself is getting feverish. And it's working overtime to contain the mess of spillages. And, you know, the Me Too campaign is just one of the things that are arising right now. How, how uh, white men in power are now being, um, their stories are now being told in different lights of people that have been manipulating and um, sitting atop pyramids of power. And, and it's in this same light that I think we can understand the experience of grief and joy, how our, our systems have contained us to only think in terms of the positive. And maybe this is where the positive thinking um, paradigm emerged from. The only way to really experience the world is to experience it via joy. Grief is pathological, so we chase it away. But now we're coming down to earth. We're, we're coming to live in the midst, in the middle of these things. And I think we're heading towards a, an ethical paradigm where we have to learn how to embrace grief. We have to um, improvise new, and improvisation doesn't mean 
arbitrary creation, but it also involves memory. So we're we, 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 we heading towards a space of relationships between ourselves and the world and the non-human world where grief is necessary to our well-being. And we will start to create rites of passage and rituals and ways of embracing darkness and the darkness of the psyche. And in doing this, I think we would open new ways of being um, that are presently not available or only available in scarce amounts um, in our present paradigm of living. Thank you, Bio. Yeah. You know, it. so we're <clears throat> speaking to you about, so Tita Lenny wrote this beautiful piece for the third issue of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine, and I'll be sharing that a little bit more about it a little bit more later. But um, so this particular episode, we're speaking to um, what Tita Lenny says or shares is elegant disintegration. And... Um, I wonder if we could talk a bit about, um, so bio, like you're naming sort of this this white normativity that we're living apart in right now and living out all over the world um, and how this, you know, it classifies everything and it's a part of this colonialism and how I'd like to speak to how this is disintegrating. Like we're talking about this dying paradigm and um, how that might show up in our everyday lives, um, because this is what's being called for, is this dismantling of, of all of this um, aspect of Western culture that is wreaking havoc, basically, you know, all over the planet in so many different ways. I wonder if we could speak to this um, first. And Tita, if you wanted to begin. Yeah, I want to thank Bio for that historical perspective and and uh, naming the 17th, 18th centuries, the Age of Enlightenment, as ushering us into this um, era of colonialism, white normativity. And um, I was reading Nora Bateson, Gregory Bateson's daughter, in in the book that she wrote, a Small Arcs within larger circles. And she talks about mental monocropping <laughs> and, and what has happened in the academe. And, and because that's where I'm coming from, what has happened is in the traditional disciplines is this compartmentalization and fragmentation of everything. So that um, the failure of that paradigm, the failure of mental monocropping is in our inability to understand complexity in our inability to to see the bigness of things, you know, and um, and and so when I hear about the modern paradigm, Western paradigm collapsing, or and then we also hear the need to remember the ancient stories, uh, remember uh, the role of memory in recovering or having a sense of how to move into the future. Uh, when I hear that, because I am, I am, I guess I feel closer to my own indigeneity, to my own uh, Filipino indigenous uh, spirit. I feel that what I have done in my own life as a, as a settler, as an immigrant to this country is 
um, to assimilate and buy into that paradigm of success and paradigm of, of making it only to be disillusioned and only to return to all those things that I have put away when I started assimilating. And, and I think that happens to, to a lot of us as we're now beginning to understand that what we have bought into, what we have been complicit with, um, is something to be grieved about. And, and for me, when I say my disintegration has been elegant, has to do with the, my closeness to the process of grief. Because in my culture, grief is part of life. Um, mm. We have elaborate ceremonies for burying the dead. We have, you know, nine-day rituals and, and so on when, when somebody transitions. We do not hide from death, you know. We're very... Mm-hmm. So, so, in a way, for this, this culture or for the white norms to shift and be transformed into more indigenous ways of being um, would be sort of providing some kind of a way out, not a way out, but a way into another way of being. Okay, so I really appreciate um, what Bayo constantly reminds us, um, the lessons that he learned from the Yoruba shamans about telling us to get lost in order to find our way again and to slow down. And I've really been taking that literally, Bayo. And, and so the sense of getting lost into something that um, we don't know, as in Rilke's poem that you quoted, Rochelle. Um, and, and I think it, that is where the paradox comes in, isn't it? It feels like we don't know, but there really is a sense in which we can know, but we can know it not in the way our rational minds have trained us to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, um, I was just reading before we started <clears throat> this quote from um, Andreas Weber's Biology of Wonder, where he talks about how when we learn to see um, the complexity of, of being, you get to a point where language no longer suffices to describe what that is like. You know? um, and, and so we try to our best to approximate that through language, but in reality, um, maybe it cannot be language, it can only be lived. Mm-hmm. You know, it can only be danced, it can only be sang, it can only be chanted. And, and maybe a lot of the ancient, traditional, non-Western spiritual practices, you know, um, whether it's whether it's Buddhism, whether it's the Vedas, whether it's um, animist cultures or shamanic cultures, there is that aspect of, of knowing that is no longer rooted in, in language. You know, but it's in the body. Um, and, and you have been working on that concept of embodiment, Rochelle. Uh, mm. so, and, and of course, um, through language, bio is always trying to approximate that. It's a beautiful way of working with words, you know. So, mm-hmm. so it seems that, you know, the, as we're speaking about like this white 
normativity, which is kind of a nice way of saying white domination and really speaking to white supremacy on many levels. And um, it brings me back to a a part of the quote as well, or the poem for Rilke's poem, where he says, you be the master, make yourself fierce, break in, then your great transforming will happen to me and my great grief cry will happen to you. It reminds me of a quote in a recent, very powerful um, essay by a woman. Uh, Leila Saad is a sacred activist, writer, life coach, and mentor. And she wrote a piece called, I Built a White Feminist Temple and Now I'm Tearing It Down. And she says, in order to know what I want to create, I have to know what I need to destroy. And I know these are strong words, but it feels like, you know, to some degree that this fierceness is being called for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, Bio, if you can speak to this, because I know, you know, you speak a lot about, you know, there's an urgency and it, and at the same time, it's time to slow down. But I'm also, you know, learning from, you know, other wise um, people that maybe there is more of a fierceness as well that needs to be brought I'm curious if you have anything to say about that. Mm. It, well, I wouldn't count myself as one of the wise people. Those kind of uh, words are reserved for uh, Tita here. Uh, I'm no, I'm no <laughs> closer to wisdom than anyone else. But, 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 um, but yeah, I think uh, there, there is a, there is a uh, beautiful sense in which uh, strong words are coming back into reckoning. You know, it, the, I, I think I had a conversation with a friend some other time and um, she was telling me about how, how she was part of a non-violence, non-violent communication seminar. Mm-hmm. Unwittingly, she didn't plan to be there, but she just found herself there. And she found herself resisting the idea of nonviolent communication, which is a beautiful ethical, you know, invitation to to be aware and to acknowledge the ways we relate with others, so as to facilitate peace. Um, however, you know, she 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 felt that that seminar was kind of dismissing the place of violence in the world, that that don't be violent at all that if, if you're violent and there's something wrong with you, I think that's how she read the event. And she stood up and said, look, to, to have a baby is a violent, is a violent thing. The pushing out, the pushing through, the inviting of, you know, a life into the world, those, that, those are acts of violence. And to love another person is an act of violence. And, and nature facilitates violence at infinitesimal levels, at atomic levels, at cellular levels. So these things are maybe coming back into reckoning. And our postmodern, uh, uh, what was that? Okay, our post, our postmodern, our postmodern politeness is going to be troubled, or is being troubled at the moment. And so you you hear. Um, in the airspace, again, words and proverbs like "let's slow down in times of urgency," and and we're 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 being faced with a paradox of that. How do you slow down in times of urgency? And 
it, it, it's probably it's probably because language, as Tita has just said, language is itself imploding. Um, not that not that language is no longer useful, but we're now beginning to see the limits of language. The world is not made up of words or concepts. The world is made made up of much more than words and concepts. And language is a species, just as much of, as humans are species. It's just a part of this of our earthly commonwealth. And so we can no longer wield it to con to control the world or to um, to colonize the planet as we have done or we have thought we've done. So uh, yeah, I think that's the way I re respond to that, that um, uh, new words are going to be coming to be hyphenated words, uh, um, queer words, rubbish words, but they're all, they're all trying to express the, the, the tragedy, the, the tragic and the spectacular becoming of new ways of being alive. Thank you for that. It's beautiful. It is time to take a short break, but before we go, I'd like to let you know that Bio Akomolafe's beautiful book is now available on Amazon. It's called These Wilds Beyond Our Fences, Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home. This is a book that is tackling some of the world's most profound questions through the intimate lens of fatherhood in a narrative that manages to be both intricate and unguarded. He discovers that something as commonplace as becoming a father is a comic, cosmic event of unprecedented proportions. Using this realization as a touchstone, he is led to consider the strangeness of his own soul, contemplate the myths and rituals of modernity, ask questions about food and justice, ponder what it means to be human, evaluate what we can do about climate change, and wonder what our collective yearnings for a better world tell us about ourselves. These Wilds Beyond Our Fences is a passionate attempt to make sense of our disconnection in a world where it is easy to feel untethered and lost. It's a father's search for meaning, for a place for of belonging and for reassurance that the world will embrace and support our children once we are gone. And you can find out more at bioakomolafe.net. And we will be right back with Dr. Lenny Strobel and Dr. Bioakomolafe. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. 
Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices, facing challenging realities head-on, opening up new places of power, and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, everyone. I want to let you know that the third issue of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is out and available online at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. This issue features a beautiful and inspiring essay by Dr. Lenny Strobel in her piece called Elegant Disintegration, for which we are exploring together today. You will find an incredible piece by Dr. Isoke Femi on the healing powers of the imaginal self. There's a beautiful essay by Anne. 11 called Stillness in Four Movements and a groundbreaking essay by Christopher Bowers called When My Enemies Became My Elders. And there is so much more. So be sure to log on and partake in these wonderful this wonderful issue and also the back issues uh, and entangle yourself with these change agents, story carriers, and healers of integrity. And today we are here with Dr. Lenny Strobel and Dr. Bio Okomalafe, exploring how we may live a beautiful life in the midst of a dying paradigm as the emerging new story is being born. So welcome back, dear Tita and Bio. So glad um, to be here. Thank you. So Tita, you mention in your essay that Kapwa constantly nudges your need for remembrance of the wisdom in your bones and in your cultural genes that has always been there from beginningless time. And you say that this is your medicine. And I wonder if we all have this kind of medicine um, as we begin to dismantle and disintegrate the old story. If you could speak to this. Um, Kapwa in Filipino indigenous psychology means that the self is in the other, but it also is a very inclusive and very broad uh, relational term because when, when you invoke kapwa, it means that you're related not only to 
other human beings, but to creation, to the creator, to the unseen realm, to the ancestors. So it it's it envelopes everything. And and that your kapwa is then anchored to your inner self or your own sense of individuality. And what facilitates the relationality is this concept of damdamin, the ability to feel deeply, the ability to empathize. And so when I invoke kapwa, I'm also invoking those other two um, indigenous concepts without which uh, kapwa doesn't really function very well. Uh, and I invoke this in my in my practice and in my being because um, when I remember what that means, when I um, when I remember it, then it becomes my medicine. Because in 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 my own modern self that I have become, um, you know, you become masterful, but then it becomes the masterful self is also empty, because the master, the modern self is emptied usually of its connection to ancestors, its connection to myths, to nature, to place, to history, storytelling to faith and spirituality, to community and to dreams. And so when we are disconnected from all of those different parts, uh, it fills the emptiness with the consumption of commodities, including spiritual commodities. Mm -hmm. and, and those are only temporary salve for our hungry ghosts, no? Mm -hmm. and, and so um, in my essay, I did talk about how... Um, this colonial history that, that I've lived through has not really erased my cultural memories because I've always felt whenever I, like for example, when I was reading Charles Eisenstein talking about the new and ancient story, something in me kept saying, but I have known that in my bones. Mm -hmm. When I hear uh, all this new language we use to, to articulate what this new world should be like, this emerging world should be like. I, there's something in me that says, but I have known that in my bo bones. I just didn't have the language. I didn't have, we didn't have a cod an expanded codified um, language for what we know. Um, and, and this is the struggle I've had in, in talking about Filipino indigenous knowledge systems and practices because um, because it wasn't codified, I'm having to rely on the language of Taoism, for example. I'm having mm -hmm. to rely on the language of um, Buddhism. I'm having to rely on on other uh, healing systems, you know. But um, but we we know we know those practices, and and we know them in our bones. So I'm hoping that someday we could codify this. But you know. Um, but the other way of maybe talking about um, this way of being, this being Kapwa, is to think of the Stan de Krippner's own concept of the long body. What is your long body? You know, and your, long, your body is beyond your skin, is beyond your psyche. It includes your ancestors. It includes um, non-human beings. It includes, so all of those things that, that the modern self has sort of been cut off from. Mm -hmm. You know, we are having to um, invite back, so to speak. So invite back your ancestors to be part of who you are, to be part of 
or of this life that you live now. Invite back or take your dreams seriously. Take the the ancient myths and and see if they can speak to you. You know, um, I have been fed by by an ancient myth, and it's only a fragment of a myth uh, of the first Babaylan, the first shaman in among uh, the Manobo people in the Philippines. You know, and and taking that one story of the first woman, medicine woman in this tribe, and her name is Mongan. And um, I experimented with living with Mongan for several years, you know, since I found her story. I would just ask her to speak to me. What does it mean? What does it mean that I know this is story and that this is, you know, and, and um, it's, it's very powerful. It's very transformative. Mongan was... Um, had leprosy, um, and 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 because she was disabled, um, when the people were migrating and leaving their the shore to go to the mountain to avoid the um, conquering peoples that were invading the indigenous community, um, they left her alone. But she was also a teacher. She was a wise woman. And, and um, they would sometimes come back to, to visit her, to ask for advice and, and sage. And so anyway, this, this story, this piece of myth has been one of the medicine that has been feeding me. Um, so what does it mean for us to invite back those myths? What is the myth that comes from the Sami people? You know, a lot of white um, Euro-Americans, white folks, may come from um, indigenous um, peoples. Who, who were they before they were Irish? They were Celtic and so on and so forth. So um, mythology and dreams and the imaginal realm, all of that becomes, uh, is invited back. Mm. And, and, and then on top of that, you also want to understand history from a very long perspective, you know, how did, what, um, and, and I think one of the crucial pieces of history that I would really like to highlight is the fact that this country, the United States, has never acknowledged the genocide of Native American people. Mm-hmm. And, and until we come to that place where we can acknowledge what we have done, that we can never I don't, I don't think we will ever get over the grief of how we became Americans, of mm. how normativity came to be, of how white supremacy came to be. You know, because we have a lot of, we've done a lot of work around the Jewish Holocaust, but actually the Jew, Jewish Holocaust was um, patterned after the American genocide. Mm-hmm. You know, studied American genocide, and a hundred years later, you know, he m- massacred the Jews. But mm-hmm. I, until we, this, this is kind of at the heart of what we are grieving for, mm-hmm. and and I feel like indigenous scholars are trying to call our attention, and indigenous elders have been trying to call our attention to this fact that. They are still here, and the land is still sacred, and the water is still sacred. And until we can, as a people, as American people, you know, uh, admit 
that this is what we have done in order to become Americans, then it, nothing will change. You know, I think we can acknowledge slavery, we can acknowledge the Holocaust, but until we acknowledge the genocide of 15 million people, we will never be at peace. We will mm. never be at peace, yeah. Mm. Yes, thank you for that. I am currently participating in a course with Abigail Rose, and it's uh, it's on dismantling whiteness, and it's very personal. It's a very personal process, and um, keeping it very close to home, and noticing and witnessing, and you know, it's a practice of dismantling the whiteness within one's own life, and beginning there. Um, and uh, yeah, I would. I agree with you, Tita. It's it's quite a profound piece of the puzzle of this um, process of healing. Um, so, Bio, we have a few minutes left, and I'm curious if um, you might be able to share, maybe, what are some other sources of power that may be available to us that we struggle to access as we, um, you know, as other practices that we can count on as we move into um, this new, a new paradigm that we, as Tita mentions, that we know is possible in our hearts. Hmm. Um, you, you know, I like the, uh, I like the phrase that Helena Norberg Hodge um, came up with, ancient futures. And, and, I, and I think that that reminds me personally that um, not to bank so, um, not to trust so, or not to be so confident in the idea of, of the new, because that kind of plays into the, the modern notion of innovation, mm-hmm. you know, like, like we are, we're creating something new. And, and you know, when Tita speaks about, um, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay, all right. When Tita speaks about elegant disintegration and recalling the past, and what what our listeners might be hearing is is maybe what some um, colleagues of mine uh, repeated to me or said to me once when I spoke about decolonization. You know, someone stood up and said, "I was given a talk in in Nigeria where I am right now," and someone was like, "So you're saying we should go back to the past?" You're, you're actually saying we should go back to living in huts and we should dismiss progress and GDP and all of that. But, but that's not what I hear when Tita speaks about, you know, re, uh, re- memory and recalling these traditions and rights. She's not rehabilitating the past. She's rehabilitating time. Um, the, the notion that the past is done with and, we're, and, it's, and it's gone. You know, it's no longer present. Is another symptom of our colonial um, frameworks that 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 we live in some linear highway, that and we're heading towards the future, it, and and we don't notice how we're actually produced by these complex ideas, these complex concepts. That that we should head forward. Everyone should be looking forward. Don't go back to the past. Don't go back to the savages and what they did in the bushes. Let's go forward, let's go forward. And and, and you know, what that does is that it blinds us 
to the abundance, to the wealth that is always around us. In, in our dreams, our ancestors speak um, in, in trees and in mountains and in rivers and in brooks and even in the soil. The matter is not just dead resource that we that is the backdrop for human um, human ascendance. It, it's it's not just it's not just something to inscribe culture upon. The matter matters, if you will. The world matters, and it's constantly speaking. But we have no ears to hear it because we have we are being produced by ethical, economic, political, ecological, spiritual frameworks that actually boundary us in, imprison us in certain ways of being alive. So what I feel is happening right now, and which I have to add some notes and addendum to, and that addendum is that we cannot unilaterally produce the changes that we yearn for, because we're not alone. We're not alone. We are, we are always within an orbit of other people, of other beings, of other agencies, of other forces and influences. So it, we're not going to unilaterally create the world that we want, a more beautiful world or whatever you want to call it. Um, it that's not going to happen. We have to do it in partnership, in partnership with the non-human world. We have to know how to listen. We have to know how to accept failure. We have to know how to retreat. We have to know and relearn how to die. We have to, we, we have to embrace what, and I love that phrase, our long body. You know, the, the idea that we're each here with individual purposes, you know, like factory products, and that if we don't fulfill our inscribed mandates, then there's something wrong with us. We should be thrown away into the heap of rubbish outside the factory of our experiences. That's not, that's not, that's not the entire truth. Another truth is inviting us to see that our ancestors and our descendants are part of ourselves. The self is not something that is um, ensconced within our bodies. It stretches between. It is between us and each moment and each, and, and each being that we meet. Ourselves and our souls are large and they live between, not within or without, but, with, but, but between. So, yeah, it, it, to, to speak about the kinds of uh, things that have to happen today, I would, I would say that, you know, the work that Tita is doing and that I'm privileged to do along with her is to open up spaces for new forms of power, for new forms of noticing. And that is not by the work of our hands. We are also riding on the waves of interdisciplinary moves and um, historical contingencies and constraints of our times that is forcing us to look differently. I just spoke, you know, when we started, I spoke about the spillages of this moment, not just not just the spillages of hacking, hacked emails, or the spillages of the encounters of white men behind the scenes, or the uh, white men and powerful white men behind the scenes, or the, the spillages of ecological disasters. The boundaries are being, you know, becoming more porous, or we're beginning to notice they're more porous than we thought they were. And in this, in this messy terrain, I believe that new capacities, new ways of being responsible or response-able, new ways of uh, responding to crisis, new ways of organizing ourselves will emerge and will be part of this. It won't be as a result of our hand um, or our agency alone. 
it would be called, it would be it would be because of an assemblage of bodies making this happen. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Bio. Tita, would you like to respond? We have a couple more minutes left in the show. Is there anything you would like to say to that? Do you want me to read the last paragraph of the Elegant Disintegration essay? <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. Okay. Let me just read this. The daily practice of conscious root-growing acts is what slow is teaching me. I am being released of the notion that I am a time being. I am not. I am present in the here and now as the inevitable consequences of a modern civilization is increasingly more palpable as we count the disappearing species in this sixth extinction crisis. When stated in this manner, the abstraction of language doesn't really land on my skin. But when I am sitting in my garden and I notice that over the three decades that I've lived in one place, there are fewer hummingbirds, no more murmurations of starlings, lesser buzzing from bees, the sadness of ancient trees as they are thirsty from this drought. I see this. I feel the grief sitting on my chest. I feel the tears welling up. Then I lay myself on the ground to look up at the blue sky, vast and limitless, and I disappear. So I beautiful. Am, I am presence. In my elegant disintegration, I am, and we are. So, um, I guess I'm not afraid to disintegrate. I'm not afraid to disappear. <laughs> and because, you know, it, again, this is the, the teaching of Vedanta is that yourself will never disappear. You know, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. you will, and, and um, the concept of time, the concept of death, physical death is, is not real. And so I always, I'm, I'm grateful that I have someone in my life who always reminds me of what is real and what is not real. But I also don't want to be accused of spiritual bypassing. Mm. Because it is so easy to resort to some of these spiritual um, teachings um, and then bypass the rest of our material life. And, and that's why I always invoke the importance of history and acknowledging the lives, the murkiness of the lives that we live on this realm, on the, the physical, cultural, political, historical realm. You know, that we need to deal with this, we need to get entangled with it, and then maybe develop a spiritual practice that can help us anchor ourselves deeply in the ground of, of beingness while doing the work necessary in order to create social justice, in order to address um, inequities, in order to address racism and supremacy and all those notions that we want to change at that level. Yeah. You know, Tita, when I hear you um, speak about the spiritual bypass, I, uh, I I wonder if I could share this very briefly, just a mm -hmm. couple of a couple of seconds. Mm -hmm. This story about um, a people that were that um, lived with their gods, 
they lived with the spirits and the ancestors. They were not far away things they people mm. prayed to. They were right here with us, you know. It's, so in a sense, spirituality was was material. It was corporeal. It was noticeable. Um, and and then something happened. Uh, the the gods warned the people not to pound yams. Now in in Nigeria, when you pound yams, you use the mortar and the pestle. Mm -hmm. So it's it's this long thing, and you pound the yam, and it's really rigorous stuff, but it's beautiful food anyway. If you've ever tasted pounded yams before, mm -hmm. um, and the people disobeyed, they, they they pounded the yams, and in so doing, they pushed away the clouds and they pushed away the gods, if you will. So in in not in a word, in you know, in a sense or in a series of words. I think my people tell the story about how spirituality has been dislocated mm -hmm. or d displaced, and 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 maybe it's been. And we we need to invite the sacred down to earth as well, and and not think of it in the Cartesian sense of being supernatural. I think yeah. I, th I think one of the most unfortunate words ever contrived is supernatural. I think <laughs> the natural. As if the natural is not enough, it's inadequate to explain mystery or to embrace um, the beautiful. So I think we need there's a there's an inviting, there's a coming down, and, and maybe that will reconfigure our um, hostility to um, to fences or to the notion of the sacred. It 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 might invite us to see other ways of. Uh, reframing the spiritual bypass or or something, yeah. uh, I I don't know. Yeah, just we have just the same story in my culture bio. Oh, you do. Yeah, yeah, the problem of 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 delegating God in the transcendent realm, you know, has really been the problem of Christianity and 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 the monotheistic religions. When in fact, um, God is not just transcendent; God is immanent. Immanent, yes. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so we must think of our concept of God, or concept of deities, or concept of the sacred as immanent. You know, as mm. being present here with us. That's why indigenous people say everything is sacred. Mm -hmm. It's sacred, and all is interconnected, mm -hmm. and all is relative. Mm -hmm. Well, our guests today have been Dr. Lenny Strobel and Dr. Bio Okomalafe. You can connect with Dear Tita Lenny at LennyStrobel.com and be sure to log on to RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com and take in this next beautiful issue. You can also connect with Dear Bio Okomalafe at BioOkomalafe.net and be sure to order your copy of Bio's incredible book on Amazon. Thank you both so much, Dear Tita and Bio, for being here with us once again for this final episode of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I look forward to our ongoing work together in the cauldron of this slow and mindful urgency for the continued awakening of humanity and myself on, on every level possible. I bow deeply to you both for your healing work in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you Thank so you. much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. And, 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 we, and we just wanted to say that we, we bless this, this show that has told new stories to the world and to everyone who has been listening. I just feel it's a fitting um, goodbye to such a beautiful project. Thank you for making this happen, Rochelle. Thank you so much, too, for ma you're making it happen as well. I just am deeply grateful for 
having these conversations over these months and uh, just been wonderful to have you both and to have you in my life moving forward. I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. <laughs> you. Soon I will talk to you both. Yeah, talk to you so talk to you both soon. And may you all be well. Thank you, dear listeners, for being with us uh, over these months and weeks. Please stay in touch. And uh, yeah, may you be well. May we all be well because the world needs us now more than ever before. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion and to Pathways to Health for Our World with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel.